they all ask me if I like spaghetti, pizza, and why our cars, in particular Fiat, are so small compared to normal cars here. One guy, I think he's Nigerian. We met in the dining hall and then Brady was like, hi, hi. He's like, oh, are you from Ghana? I was like, no. But he was like, oh, by your accent, you have a Ghanaian accent. It's like, oh, okay. I always get that your English is very good. I got that a lot. When I actually, I went to boarding school in the US and I got that at the beginning from other people who were like, oh, I can't believe you can speak English. Um, seeing as you're from Hong Kong, yeah. Someone in, when I was like getting my food in the dining hall, one of the guy, he's like kind of talking in a funny voice when, when I was talking to him, like saying what I wanted. And then uh, when he gave me the food, he was like, oh, I'm just really sorry. Like, I didn't, don't want you to think I was like making fun of your accent or something. So that was quite funny. It's funny <laughs> because I'm like, okay, I've never had that one. So um, I, I don't know what someone else is going to say next. People either ask me where I come from or they say, ah, but you are Italian. Hi, I'm Nicola Bargellini. I'm Fasi Shabani. I'm Jesse. I'm Jason Liu. And you are listening to State of the Pod. State of the Pod. State of the Pod. You just heard a lot of different voices. As you hear each new person speak, do you hone in on just their voice or do you begin picturing other aspects? Do you start imagining what they might look like or where they might be from? Do you find yourself relating to the speakers? In many ways, accents can shape our identity in the minds of those around us. Just like how the written word is always in a handwriting or font, spoken language is tied to the accent. Your accent is the filter through which you perceive and interact with the world, and even perceive yourself. Just as the part of your brain that handles visuals is good at recognizing facial features, we are also really good at making sense of human voices. But this means we often infer a lot more from a voice than we intend to or should. And sometimes, we get it wrong. Hi, I'm Lin Hong. And I'm Adele Williams. This is State of the Pod, where science meets society, coming to you from Ithaca, New York. In this episode, we are going to explore spoken accents. With interviews from Cornell students and experts, we will dive into what accents, dialects, and languages are, and what they mean to people. Can science explain our response to accents? Language pervades our daily life. It's how we understand our experiences, express ourselves, and communicate with others. But before we jump in, what do we mean when we talk about accents or dialects? With an accent, we're referring to just the pronunciations, how we say different words. But dialects encompass a lot more than that. Different dialects of the same language can have different vocabulary, syntax, and metaphors. We spoke to Niccolo, an Italian exchange student at Cornell, who shared how Italian regional dialects were almost mutually unintelligible. I live in La Spezia, which is like 60 miles away from another city called Genoa. Genoa is the main city in Liguria, the region in which I live. So since we are under the same region, you should expect that, well, the dialect will be, same, will be the same. I cannot understand a word of a man speaking strict dialect coming from Genoa. 
because it's a mixture of French, Portuguese, and other uh, regional languages, it's impossible for me to understand. How we perceive accents and dialects seems incredibly complicated. How do we explain our reactions to hearing a manner of speech so different from our own? It's reasonable to assume that our initial reaction to hearing an accent is instantaneous and psychological. To shed some linguistic light on the topic, I sat down with Dr. Laura Stone Casasanto, a visiting scholar at Cornell. Her background lies in psycholinguistics and sociolinguistics, focusing on how and why people produce and perceive different accents. So I think that a lot of people's reactions to hearing the way somebody else speaks are more emotional than, um, and they also of course have cognitive reactions, but that our, our emotional reactions can't really be separated from those. When you first interact with a new person and they speak differently from you, you can feel distanced or you can feel confused. You can feel like this interaction isn't going smoothly. And something to be really aware of is there's a, a pretty big literature in psychology about um, the subjective experience of fluency and how that affects people's judgments like positivity or negativity or their emotional reactions to things. So when something is easy for us, we like it. Um, and that's well known and well established. Well, what what that means is that when something isn't easy, we have to be careful not to try not to judge things negatively because it takes us some time to get used to them. Our brains may react instantaneously to an accent, but they eventually adapt. Linguists like Dr. Casasanto believe that it really isn't that hard to adjust to someone's accent, but our preconceived notions can inhibit this ability. I think is really important to remember when you're in interacting with someone who has a foreign accent that your expectations might be part of the problem. And that's not easy to fix, right? Because your expectations are built on your experiences. What we hear can shape our opinions and perceptions, but the opposite is also true. Cultural biases can affect what we hear. It's also the case that your beliefs about other people based on things like, you know, their name or their what they look like can affect how you hear their accent. Dr. Casasanto noted a specific study investigating how students perceive Asian teaching assistants and their accents or lack thereof. So the way the way the study worked was they took pictures of people who were either Caucasian or Asian and played the exact same uh, audio clip along with the pictures. And the audio clip was spoken by a native speaker of American English. So there was no foreign accent in the clip at all. But when they played the clip uh, along with the picture of the Asian woman, people perceived there to be more of a foreign accent. They rated it as more foreign accented, but they also rated it as harder to understand. Uh, and if I'm remembering correctly, they didn't learn as much from the passage. They didn't remember as much information. So it's not just that people expect there to be an accent, but that that changes the way they listen. It makes them have a harder time understanding and, and retaining information. And that, of course, had nothing to do with the actual accent. There was no foreign accent. It was a Native American speaker. Uh, um, a Native American is the wrong way to put that. It was a Native speaker of American English, <laughs> right? So there, there was nothing to be impeded by and yet the expectation that there might be made it harder for people to understand and made them believe that there was something that was hard to understand. Our expectations can very well shape our perceptions of accents and it's important to investigate where our expectations come from. It's impossible to describe our interactions with people who speak differently than ourselves as isolated incidents. Our perceptions are a product of our past experiences. 
So people learn about dialects through essentially statistical learning, right? You experience them in the real world and they are associated with a variety of things in the real world, aspects of the context and aspects of the interaction that you have with those people and things that you know about those people. So when you learn, what does it mean when someone talks in a certain way, you learn it via statistical learning and not via some set of rules. If you only see a certain type of person on TV, say you've never been outside the United States and you've never met a British person in real life. So all you know is what you've seen on TV and in the news or whatever. Um, that's all you know about what it means to hear, uh, you know, a British accent. But of course, that can also work against you, right? If people are not very experienced with, you know, a group that you're a member of and the type of uh, language that that group uses, then they may be interacting with you based on stereotypes that are not very accurate and maybe not very favorable. Science doesn't fully explain our reactions to accents and dialects. There are other social factors conditioning how receptive or hostile we might be. To learn more, we spoke to Dan Bertgoff, a graduate student studying linguistics at Cornell. They shared that in popular perception, there is a hierarchy of accents and dialects, such that some speakers are seen as more capable or intelligent, while others are seen as speaking bad English. So at the very top of this hierarchy is going to be, you know, your very standard um, sort of the English you hear on news programs and in academic institutions and in government, that kind of English. Um, as you go down the hierarchy, you start seeing more regional variations. Um, you might get urban dialects, like you know the way people speak in Boston or New York City or Chicago. These are all very distinct, right? Um, and probably at the very bottom of this hierarchy is where you start seeing um, Latinx English and Black English. Um, and you know, there's a reason that these things are at the bottom of the hierarchy, and it's not because they're worse, it's because they're socially disadvantaged. Different kinds of accents get perceived in very different ways here. Um, and, you know, just to give an example of one that's perceived very well, look at British English. Um, it's very different than standard American English, and we certainly don't look at it as lesser. In many contexts, we look at it as being better than American English, or, or we look at people who speak it as being more intelligent. Um, Whereas people who are coming from the Indian subcontinent or from, you know, from, from really anywhere in Asia or from Africa who speak that kind of accented English, it's seen much more negatively. The negative psychological reactions Dr. Casasanto discussed earlier apply unevenly across people who speak with non-standard accents or dialects. But why does this hierarchy of accents exist? There's certainly not anything about the languages or the accents themselves. It's it's entirely to do with what inequalities already exist in the society, what racism is already present, and the language just becomes an excuse to enact that. You know, when you have different versions of a language being spoken by different groups, whichever group has more power is going to use that as a way to say, well, you're different than us. You must be doing this wrong. You must be lesser. You're less educated or illiterate or less intelligent or whatever variant on that they end up going for. And so it ends, it ends up becoming a way to justify whatever inequalities already exist. Dialects that are spoken by less privileged people, so whether that's Black people or Latinx communities, or even just poor white people, those are the dialects that get the most stigmatized, um, that are considered the most broken or you know bad English. Um, whereas dialects that are spoken by more privileged people, even if they're different than the standard dialect, 
they're seen in a better light. Many specific factors shape the hierarchy of accents in each country, but one key overarching factor is colonialism. Colonization introduced European languages like English, French, German, or Dutch into other societies. They became the language of political and social power, as opposed to indigenous languages which were looked down on. Colonists then tried to preserve this prestigious version of the language in order to keep themselves linguistically distinct. This piece of colonial history is still very much alive. In many countries which were colonized, speaking a European language and speaking it in a certain purer or more Western manner continues to enjoy more prestige. On the other hand, within colonial populations, there was much more linguistic mixing, creating local dialects of English. Anytime the languages come into contact, they're going to be influencing each other. But when you have these social forces at play, you know, you have this prestigious version of the language that the speakers of it are trying to keep it pure, to keep themselves linguistically distinct from everyone else. And so you see more, more language contact happening in, in less socially advantaged circles. And then that ends up becoming a, a social cue for being disadvantaged. You know, you'll see all over the world, you have different versions of English and different English-based creoles um, that have arisen in colonial situations and that are generally considered to be bad or broken English. They're very frowned upon, um, often to the point that governments will even try to um, erase them and get people to, stay, to speak just good, proper English, um, which is to say, you know, standard international English. In Singapore, for instance, there's Singlish, which is absolutely beautiful, um, but it's, it's, it's very different from any standardized Western version of English. And it's because it has more of this influence of the local languages of Hokkien and Tamil and Mandarin, um, it's seen as being lesser. It's seen as being a broken or a stained form of English. In fact, there's no objective reason why a particular dialect is considered the social standard and all others derivative or broken. There's simply no one right way to speak. This hierarchy is entirely socially constructed. By any objective linguistic standard, no dialect or accent is any better than any other. No dialect is better at communicating meaning. No dialect is more logical or more structured. Um, every variation of a language that you might encounter has its own internal consistencies that hold it together. Now that we've talked about the global context, we zoom in on America to ask, what does the cultural hierarchy of accents look like here? We very much still have a situation, not only in America, but very much in America, where when you have immigrants coming in and maybe they spoke a different language and so their English is accented, you can tell it's their second language. Um, it becomes very marked. It's, it's very much used against them. Um, even to the point that, you know, you have second generation kids who are native speakers of English, but their English has been influenced by their parents' language and it still ends up setting them apart. And this perception of linguistic difference can have profound effects. There have been a lot of studies actually looking at the effects that the way you speak has on uh, job interviews, on housing applications and things like that. And consistently, you know, we find statistical evidence that people who speak non-standard varieties are turned down for these, you know, very basic things. People need to have jobs, they need to have housing, and just speaking a different variety of the language makes it harder to get those things. But even, even in lower stake situations, just day-to-day -day interacting with people, 
um, you know, it, it influences the way we see each other and the way we interact with each other. Um, I might've mentioned this last time actually, but even just, you know, trying to meet someone and make friends when you speak a more marked version of English, it can be much harder. We spoke to some international students from Cornell who echoed these sentiments. Jason, a freshman from Hong Kong, shared how accents seem to color our perceptions of a person's intelligence. I think in the U.S. in particular, I've noticed that oftentimes because someone has an accent, it's immediately assumed that they might be less smart or that they might be less proficient um, in English, when in reality that's not the case. I think I realized this the most when I was actually at my high school. You know, you had kids who had like really maybe like stronger accents that you had like kids who had like stronger accents um, and were seen as maybe not being as smart or not being as like good at English when in reality they, you know, were perfectly proficient in English, um, could like speak the language extremely well, but it's just because they had that accent, there was this perception of them, I guess, not being um, as strong and kind of communicating. Do you feel that having an accent has personally affected you at Cornell? I feel like I might have had a bit of a harder time, like, Maybe like in interviews, for example, or trying to like enter positions, I might have just had a bit of a harder time with that um, if I had maybe like a stronger Chinese accent. Our society's linguistic stereotyping means some people are disregarded, even denigrated, because of their accent or dialect. Code switching is a way for them to mitigate these negative effects. To code switch is to switch between a non-standard dialect and the standard dialect in different contexts, employing whichever is more effective in that scenario. Speakers code switch consciously or unconsciously in response to different environments. We do this all the time in daily life, like changing how we speak to our family and our friends, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it. But against a backdrop of linguistic prejudice, where some people have to change how they speak in order to be heard, code switching seems more like a necessary evil. Sharing her thoughts on code switching, we have Professor Kiara Formiki, an associate professor of Asian studies at Cornell University, who has lived and worked in Europe, Asia, and the United States. So I think that it's important to to be able to code switch because perceptions are important. Not that perceptions need to affect who we are, but because in certain circumstances, the way that people perceive us off the bat is gonna have lasting implications. And we need to leverage that rather than being, being victims of that. On the other hand, I do not think that code switching as as an MO, as the default situation is healthy either. But sometimes it's really useful to be able to do that so that you can start a conversation and be heard as being part of that conversation. And then you can, um, you can explain why that's off, what that should have not been the case and point out how differently someone would have reacted if you had been speaking a different language or with a different accent. Our reactions to how people speak are influenced by both science and stereotypes, but it's not all bleak. We have the capacity to accommodate other accents, to adjust, and to learn. We have to be careful not to try not to judge things negatively because it takes us some time to get used to them. So that experience of not easily being able to understand somebody or finding them 
uh, more different and it's more work to communicate with them could really naturally cause you to feel less positive about your interactions or less desirous of continuing those interactions. But it's, it's really useful to know that that will fade quickly because you will get better at it. <laughs> There's some other research showing that people adapt to both foreign and non-standard accents very, very quickly, and that all it takes is some listening. So if you spend some time listening to somebody speak, you become much better at understanding them. Because of the idea of a critical period in language learning, that is, a difficulty after the age of about 12 in learning the phonological aspect of another language, we may assume that learning to understand accents is harder than it actually is. Being able to learn to understand other people's accents, there's no reason to think that there's any limitation on that as you get older, um, that you should still be able to do that and all it takes is exposure. The experiences of our international student interviewees certainly support this. Fatima, a freshman from Congo, and Jason share how greater exposure has allowed them to understand different accents. Because I... I come from a Francophone country, so I wasn't exposed to English at all. I had to move to another country for a year to learn English, so I learned English in a year, and I was exposed to people from that country and their accents. So when I came here, I met different people from different places with different accents, and it was hard to get what they were saying. Like, I think the first two months, I struggled getting what people were saying, but now... um I'm fine. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm really fine and I can easily get different accents. I think I've been very fortunate that I've had a very like multicultural education. So with that, you kind of tend to like be a bit better at kind of understanding other people's accents and also kind of picking up on the like maybe like certain like phrases or nuances of like maybe someone who English isn't their mother tongue might have when they speak English. Accents and dialects are clearly complex phenomena. Our perceptions of them are mired in psychology, societal patterns, and history. But they're also simple facts of life. To be honest, I've never really given much thought about what my accent sounded like. I just kind of speak. My accent has always been with me. It's something that I can't get rid of and has changed with me. As much as accents and dialects are powerful factors shaping how we are perceived, Language is ultimately just an instrument we employ. It doesn't need to determine how we see other people or who we think we are. I imagine that I have a really thick accent because a lot of people were able to guess that I was Italian, although I never, uh, I've never te- told them so. But, I mean, I don't know what to do about it. It's just my accent. This has been State of the Pod. Thanks for joining us to learn about our reaction to accents and tune in next time to dive further into the personal experiences of bilingual people and their relationship with their accents. You don't want to miss it.